Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to by far the best experience you'll enjoy today, maybe even every day. It's called the Greenwich of Town for All Seasons show podcast. I know, I know, some of you are rather new to this. You're asking yourself, well, fine, but what's so great about this? (laughs) Well, uh, on this weekly show, we delve into all things with regards to the history and culture of Greenwich, Connecticut, one of America's premier communities. If you're a seasoned listener, then you already, you're already feeling the bounce of pure joy and delight knowing that there are people just like you all over the USA and even around the world who share a special connection to this place, Greenwich, Connecticut, that we call home. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead. I'm a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. Today is Thursday, December 9th. 2021. Thank you for tuning in today. I've got a lot of fascinating history to share, a lot of funny stuff, plus news of opportunities and public events that you can enjoy. So without any further ado, let's get started, shall we? Coming up on today's show. Well, my friends, as they say, tis the season. 100 years ago this week, on December 11, 1921, an amateur radio station housed in a converted chicken coop and operated by the Radio Club of America sent the first shortwave message across the Atlantic Ocean to Scotland. A granite monument at the intersection of North Street and Clappard Ridge Road marks the occasion. I'll share with you a Christmas editorial published a century ago today that was published uh, in the Greenwich News and Graphic. Now, two shows ago, I shared a published conversation with Greenwich builder and contractor Joseph Cristiano. He died on his 64th birthday in 1929. His obituary, published on the first page of the local papers, was quite revealing. It turns out that this successful businessman was responsible for constructing many of the palatial homes associated with the Greenwich Great Estates and in, in those in localities in nearby communities. He was also responsible for constructing St. Mary's Church in Greenwich Avenue and St. Rock's Church in Chickahominy. Well, a Mrs. John Fry, who was evicted from her home in Costco, was fit to be tied and decided to sue a number of parties and the town of Greenwich. You'll hear more about that. Now, I got to tell you, in 1929, during Prohibition, too much whoopee was all the rage at dances held at Costco School. That's a direct quote, by the way. It was all quite scandalous. Uh, with the Coscob Community Association the Co- and the Coscob Mothers Social Club highly unamused, and you will hear why. In November 1895, an attempt was made to burglarize the Round Hill store. One of the burglars, while running away, took a shot with a pistol at Louis June, who was standing at an upstairs window above the store. What happened? Well, stay tuned. You'll find out. Now, this week, I attended the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the official opening of Coffee for Good, uh, this 
This is the new coffee shop located on the ground floor of Mead House, the 1856 Solomon Mead House at 48 Maple Avenue on the campus of the Second Congregational Church. One of the more colorful residents of this mansion was Sylvia Ann Howland Green Wilkes. She was the daughter of the tycoon Hetty Green, also known as the Witch of Wall Street the richest woman in America during the Gilded Age. I'll share an insightful essay about Sylvia Wilkes by Lisa Albamonte and published by the Greenwich Historical Society on its website. One of our sponsors is the Ambassador Museum, United States of America. And today and on upcoming shows, I'll be sharing with you historical tidbits about a true Renaissance man in Greenwich who is revered and remembered by many. And that would be, of course, Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. My friends, we're going to have all this news of events and more as today's show unfolds. So please stick around. We've got a lot of great stuff coming for you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Support is made possible by an award winner of the Landscape Architecture Foundation, Greenwich-based Peter F. Alexander, Landscape Architect of Site Design Associates, believes that landscape design has the capacity to transform perceptions and ultimately inaugurate a deeper respect for the natural environment. Since 1979, Peter F. Alexander has been tireless in his commitment to excellence in project design, management, implementation, and personal service. Building upon a cornerstone of experience and trust, he believes that each landscaped project design expands the interpretation of design, craftsmanship, and sustainability. Peter F. Alexander is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympics Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the master plan of the Calf Island Conservancy in Greenwich, Connecticut, numerous residential projects, and much more. Proudly collaborative in his approach, Peter F. Alexander's creations of immersive experiential landscape spaces cultivates a sense of community and connections that are second to none. Learn more about Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect at sitedesignassociates.com. Again, that's sitedesignassociates.com. You can also call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. By all means, when you contact Peter F. Alexander, please be sure to mention that you heard about him through the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Thank you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.li. S-I-S-T-U-D-Y dot info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475-897-5444. And we are welcoming a new major supporter to the show. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual Ambassador Museum based in Greenwich, Connecticut. 
It seeks to be a tribute to ambassadors, their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is looking for records, photographs, and videos of ambassadors and their families or people who have been associated with ambassadors in the past. Monetary donations are also welcome. Funding supports the Virtual Museum, which is receiving support from the University of Denver and the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Throughout the town of Greenwich's 20th century history, a number of ambassadors lived here, perhaps the most prominent being Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. He grew up on historic Denbig Farm off Riversville Road in the backcountry and served as ambassador to Morocco and as chief of protocol of the United States, among other diplomatic assignments. On future shows, we're looking forward to featuring histories of those from Greenwich who served the nation in various ambassadorial roles. You can learn more at amusa.info. Again, that's amusa.info. You can call 203-347-4604. Again, that's 203-347-4604. Or you can write to Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. Again, that post office box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. You know, of all holidays, Christmas appeals with more force than any of the others to the Christian world. Commemorating the birth of the founder of the religion, which is professed in the most advanced civilized nations on the globe, it is regarded by most people as having the deepest significance of all of the holidays. Those words were mentioned in the December 9, 1921 edition of the Greenwich News and Graphic. It continues. It may be 1921 years since the first Christmas, but it is a good many years less than that since its first celebration as the anniversary of the birth of Christ. For a long time, the feast was a movable one, and it was not until the 4th century that a date was fixed for the observance, which has been adhered to since that time. There have been controversies as to whether the date was fixed correctly, and indications are that it was not. But this is immaterial. The main thing is to have some date set that the celebration may be uniform. Historically, it would be interesting to trace the custom of gift-giving at this particular season of the year. The practice is due to the, pre the appreciation of people in ages long gone by, who thus began the expression of their gratitude for the gift of the Son of God. Theoretically, the same motive prompts us in our giving today, though in many cases it is to be feared the original significance of the custom is lost sight of in the performance of the pleasure. However that may be, the day remains distinctively a Christian day, and even those who ignore this aspect of it pay unconscious tribute to the teachings of Christianity. It is the most joyous festival known to the world, expanding hearts, binding them to one another, and inspiring a self-denial and self-sacrifice for the happiness and pleasure of others, all reminding us that, after all, nature isn't altogether bad. 
the man or woman whose heart is not enlarged at the Christmas time, who does not breathe the spirit of joy and pleasure in seeing others rejoice, and who has not made some sacrifice that another may be pleased or benefited, must be utterly destitute, a burden to himself or herself, and encumber of the society in which he or she moves. At this time we should forget self, purge our remembrances of the uglier things of life, expand our hearts with overflowing goodwill, get into closer touch and sympathy with our kind, and devote our energies to all the pleasures and joys that will make us better. Help our neighbor to the same and give us a new zest for the duties that come next. Quote, Christmas comes but once a year, unquote, says the old carol. Quote, Therefore, let's be merry, unquote. Merriment is, indeed, one of the cherished attributes of the day. The cheery greetings between friends, the joyous reunion of families, best of all, perhaps, the laughter in the eyes and on the faces of little children, as they race through the house with glee, clasping their gifts or eagerly holding them up for inspection and for praise. These are among the common phases of the one day of the year when the whole world makes festival. The one day when the idea that it is more blessed to give than to receive is prevalent, and men forget for a little while the striving for material advancement, supplanting the thought of it with the sentiment of generous care for the happiness of others, and finding greater satisfaction from conferring benefits that can ever come from receiving them. In no other way could be celebrated fittingly that cycle of the hours which has been dominated the birthday of the Prince of Peace. And my friend, those words come from the December 9, 1921 edition of the Greenwich News and Graphic, and it was found on page four. On one of my recent shows, I shared with my audience an article that uh, appeared in one of the uh, Greenwich News publications, um, and it was an interview with a gentleman with a name that I think that many of us know here in Greenwich, and that name is Joseph Cristiano. Uh, he was a very, very well-known contractor and uh, builder here in the town of Greenwich. I got a little bit curious about him. I knew the name, but I didn't know very much about him. Uh, so I decided to do a little bit of research, and I found um, his uh, published obituary, which appeared in the Greenwich News and Graphic uh, on the date of September 13th, 1929. It made front-page news. Um, and I thought that I would share this with you. Um, and uh, and I think that, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share the reason why after I read the, um, the obituary. So uh, sit back and relax, and, um, and let's learn a bit more about this uh, very, very important gentleman uh, here in Greenwich, Mr. Joseph Cristiano. Um, the headline says, well-known contractor and builder passes on his birthday. And it goes as follows. Joseph Cristiano, one of the foremost contractors and builders in Fairfield and Westchester counties for about 40 years, during which time he had been a highly respected resident of Greenwich, passed away at his home on 21 Le Grand Avenue Tuesday night around about 8.40 o'clock. His death came on his 64th birthday. Mr. Cristiano had been ill, suffering from a complication of ailments, 
for the past 22 months, being bedridden for four months and had undergone treatment at in St. Vincent's Hospital in New York and Greenwich Hospital. Because of his age and general condition, he was unable to withstand an operation. Born in Castle Grand, Italy, Mr. Cristiano came to this country 45 years ago and until six years ago when he retired because of impaired health, had carried a most successful contracting business, being recognized as the leading builder in this section. In addition to erecting many of the palatial houses for prominent New York businessmen in Greenwich, including those of Russell A. Cowles, Julian W. Curtis, Raynal C. Bowling, A.W. Johnson, Edwin B. Curtis, and many others. He built St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church and the parochial school group of buildings here, and also a large Roman Catholic church on Tremont Street in New York. His work was not confined to Greenwich alone, but extended throughout Westchester and Fairfield counties and on Long Island, Long Island shores as he was known far and wide as an expert in his line of business. One of Mr. Cristiano's largest business enterprises was the erection of the Greenwich Theatre Building here, of which he was owner up to the time of his death. Theretofore, Greenwich had no moving picture house, save a small one in the Kramer Building, which was opened about the same time. Mr. Cristiano saw a great future ahead for such a theater in Greenwich, and the theater proved to be a most successful venture. He was the owner of other large stores and apartment buildings in the community. Mr. Cristiano employed hundreds of workmen from time to time, all of whom held him in the highest esteem. For the past six years, the contracting business he established here has been carried on by his son, Joseph Cristiano, Jr. Mr. Cristiano was a charter member of the Greenwich Lodge Number 1150 BPO Elks, a member of the Sons of Italy in Greenwich, the Baldhead Club of America, and the San Vito Martin in New York, as well as several Italian organizations. Mr. Cristiano was a man of unusual intellect and had sound business principles, being always honest and just in his dealings with his fellow men, and the success he achieved in business was largely due to these qualifications, which characterized his life. He was also of a generous and kindly disposition, always being willing to give financial or other aid to those in need. In the death of such a loyal citizen, the community has suffered an irreparable loss. He was a devoted husband and a kind father and was much interested in the future welfare of his children, giving them every possible means of education and making them good citizens in the town where they were born and brought up. Beside his wife, Mrs. Maria G. Cristiano, Mr. Cristiano is survived by one son, Joseph Cristiano Jr., and three daughters, Mrs. Leighton Shipley of New York, Miss Joan Cristiano, and Miss Vincenza Cristiano, both of Greenwich, and also five grandchildren. A son, Anthony J. Cristiano, died several months ago as the result of an automobile accident. The funeral, with solemn high mass, will be held at St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Interment will be in St. Mary's Cemetery. And again, my, my source on this, 
um, is the Greenwich News and Graphic, and this was published um, on September 13, 1929, on page one, and also continuing over to page nine. What interested me about um, about Mr. Cristiano was a number of things. My understanding is that he was also responsible for building St. Rock's Church over on uh, St. Rock's Avenue in the Chickahominy section of um, of Greenwich. Um, and I believe that um, there were a couple of buildings on Greenwich Avenue, one of which I think is near the uh, the old post office at the corner of, uh, of Art Street and uh, Greenwich Avenue. Um, he uh, uh, One thing of, that did catch my mind was uh, the reference uh, to him building the, um, uh, the palatial homes for people like Nathaniel Witherell and Raynal Bowling and, and others. And um, that comes to mind, of course, the, um, uh, the book that was published by the Junior League a number of years ago of the Great Estates. You know, we, we know about the, uh, the architects and about the, um, the original owners of those buildings and homes, of course. Uh, but um, it, it's good to remember that uh, there were those who were to actually build these places, who hammered the nails and, um, and cut the stones and uh, uh, did the roof work and so on and so forth. And now we can point, uh, I think, just, justifiably so, um, to uh, Mr. Joseph Cristiano for making that happen. Again, he died on his 64th birthday. What a time to go. So um, this is somebody that uh, that we should pause and um, and remember, and uh, I hope that those of you who are his um, descendants uh, would I would love it if you would get in touch with me, and if you would, please do. Um, you can do that by going online to Greenwich Town for All Seasons at gmail.com. Again, that is by email at Greenwich Town for All Seasons at uh, gmail.com. I'd love to learn more, so please get in touch with me. Thank you. All right, my friends, I have a little assignment for you. I want you to get out a paper and pen or pencil, whatever it is they have, or your uh, digital device. And I have a name that I'm going to give you. His name is Rick Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. And he is a remarkable librarian that is employed in the Greenwich Library system. Now, let me ask you this. Are you... Are you a family history or genealogy enthusiast? Do you need uh, help with searching through an ancestry database? Do you want to know maybe a little bit about the um, the history of your house? Learn more about uh, when your family settled here in Greenwich, whether Founders Rock marks the spot where the English uh, settlers founded Greenwich, how you can access burial records, newspaper records, ancestry records, microfilm and microfiche, uh, historic photos of um, Greenwich. Well, if you're at the Greenwich Library, Rick Hansen is your man. He is the local history librarian on staff um, at uh, the Greenwich Library, and um, he is somebody who has been on my show when I was on radio, and uh, he is somebody that definitely you should contact and get to um, to know. Now, you can do that uh, if you are at the main branch of Greenwich Library at Deerfield Drive and, um, and uh, West Putnam Avenue, which is... Uh, located 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, you can call the library and ask to uh, speak to Mr. Hansen, Rick Hansen, at area code 203-622-7900. That's 622-7900. Uh, and please tell him that Jeffrey Bingham Mead of the Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast sent you to uh, to contact him. You know, the, the Greenwich Library website, which is greenwichlibrary.org, has quite uh, an amazing number of 
uh, resources about um, the history of, of Greenwich that, uh, that you can access online. Um, you can just uh, you know, go and explore, visit, learn, whatever the case may be by going online to GreenwichLibrary.org. But if there's somebody that you need to talk to um, who is very, very conscientious and uh, will uh, an patiently answer your questions, the Rick Hansen is your man. So again, you can go to GreenwichLibrary.org um, or you could have stop in and visit at 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich. Uh, or you can call 203-622-7900. Well, it is rather common knowledge that we live in a very litigious society. We think that of that as being a very modern phenomenon uh, here in the, um, in the early 21st century, certainly in the late 20th. But this has been going on for a very, very long time. And there was a headline that, uh, that caught my eye about this, um, and it's dated from November 20th, 1925, um, and uh, from the Greenwich News and Graphic. Um, and the headline uh, says, Mrs. Fry to Sue Town, also Deputy Sheriff Rich and Truckman who moved her out. And the, uh, this was set in Coscob, by the way, and the, uh, the story goes as follows. Mrs. John Fry who was evicted from her home in Koskob several weeks ago, announced yesterday that she had retained Dominic Raina as her counsel for the suits she is to bring against Deputy Sheriff Henry M. Rich, Duran Brothers, and the town of Greenwich for the illegal manner in which they put her out of the house she had occupied for so many years. In the removal of her furniture and personal belongings from the house, Mrs. Fry claims the deputy sheriff exceeded his authority, as did Duran Brothers, the trucking concern, in whose vans her household belongings were moved. Not only was damage done to her furniture, she asserts, but she lost jewelry valued at $10,000, as well as other valuables. It is also Mrs. Fry's contention that the house was not owned by Mrs. Michael Taylor, who caused her to be ejected, but that it is still the property of the Peck estate. She therefore claims that she has a good suit against the town, not only for ousting her from the premises, but also for her husband's back salary, amounting to $10,000 or more. The town school committee discharged Mr. Fry as principal of the Hamilton Avenue School, and soon afterward he mysteriously dropped out of sight. Mrs. Fry believes the town of Greenwich was responsible in luring her husband away, and she has since been unable to receive any support from him. She denies the report circulated that Mr. Fry has been sending her money toward her support. She still refuses to state where she is making her abode. After remaining in the Pickwick Arms two days following her ejection from the premises, she spent one night in a cell at police headquarters. Mrs. Fry took occasion this week to severely criticize the police and the town authorities for allowing several large barrels of liquor to remain in the basement of the town hall. The case in which the liquor was involved was appealed to the higher court, and consequently the liquor could not be destroyed according to the police. Um, I, I don't know who this Mrs. Fry was, my friends. Um, I believe that the, uh, the, the, the house 
uh, if many of you recall many years ago before the uh, the great fire at the the Costco hub uh, there was a, um, a two to two and a half story b- uh, house that was behind it it was gray in color as I recall it and I as I recall correctly uh, I believe that was the um, uh, the the home of uh, Michael Taylor or the um, property of the Peck estate at the uh, that the story uh, references. Um, I'm going to keep looking into this. I'm rather curious to see how um, this came out. If you uh, have any knowledge of this, well, please uh, contact me, as always, by email at GreenwichTownForAllSeasons at gmail.com. Or you know what? You can even contact me on Facebook. I happen to be uh, rather active there. You can find me under Jeffrey Bingham Mead, or you can also find me under the um, uh, the show's uh, site, which is, of course, uh, Greenwich, a town for all seasons. I look forward to hearing from you. Mark your calendars for the 18th of December, 2021, at 11 a.m. The Horseneck Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution and the Friends of the Old Burying Ground at Byram Shore Road invite the public to attend the Wreaths Across America Day event. Each December on National Wreaths Across America Day, our mission is to remember, honor, and teach. It's carried out by coordinating wreath-laying ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, as well as more than 2,500 additional locations in all 50 U.S. states at sea and abroad. Join us to recognize our veterans, including two from the Revolutionary War. The Old Burying Ground at Byram Shore Road is located at the intersection with Byram Dock Street at 29 Byram Shore Road. Attendees are asked to wear masks. Please RSVP to horsenecdar at gmail.com. Again, that's for the National Wreaths Across America Day event at the Old Burying Ground at Byram Shore Road on December 18th at 11 a.m. Please, again, RSVP to horsenecdar at gmail.com. May I let you in on a secret? In my not-so-humble opinion, nothing beats the comfort and soothing qualities of a good, hot cup of coffee in a historical setting. The Coffee for Good Cafe is located in the stone 1858 Solomon Mead House at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church of Greenwich. My friends, this is not your ordinary high-end retail coffee shop. Coffee for Good is a new, unique, nonprofit partnership with the Second Congregational Church and Abelis. It employs and trains people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Coffee for Good's authentically historical, legendary ambiance will make you want to sip and stay for hours. Believe me, I'm there. (laughs) Enjoy exquisite indoor and outdoor dining. The service is attentive and friendly. And did I mention, ready for this, that the parking is free? Hey, just saying. Oh, and let me throw this into this free Wi-Fi. Need a place to study, work, read, meet up with friends, or just relax? Make Coffee for Good your destination. It's certainly one of mine. 48 Maple Avenue in the 1858 Stone Solomon Mead House. Open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday, closed Sunday. Learn more at coffeeforgood.org. Again, that's coffeeforgood.org. 
There was a time in Greenwich, Connecticut's history, indeed that of the um, of the entire nation, uh, that prohibition uh, was in full swing. Of course, that was the ban on the sale, production, and um, and consumption of alcoholic beverages. Uh, and um, there was a story that I ran into that, um, to say the least, <laughs> is worded in such a way that um, it's going to raise eyebrows. So I want to prepare you for that. Um, and um, this is a, a story that appeared in the Greenwich News and Graphic on uh, September 13, 1929. Um, and it was on the first page. The, the headline reads, Too Much Whoopee, and that is spelled W-H-O-O-P-E-E, um, and it was in all caps. No more dances at Coscob School, committee says, and, <laughs> it goes, and it goes on. So I'm going to read this verbatim. It's going to have a couple of words that I think that you're going to find a bit, uh, shall we say, um, attention-getting and controversial. So um, without any further ado, let's, uh, let's, let's get on with it, shall we? Um, the story goes as follows that the Coscob School Auditorium will not be rented for anything besides Coscob Community Association activities was a decision made by the town school committee at a recent meeting. This fact was confirmed by George E. Byrne of 325 Greenwich Avenue, secretary of the committee, yesterday. Mr. Byrne said, quote, We arrived at this decision... As the result of some very disagreeable affairs we had ever there. <clears throat> Loud in their praise of the committee's decision are members of the two Coscob Civic Associations, the Community Association and the Coscob Mothers Social Club. Conditions had become worse and worse at Coscob during dances with each succeeding year. Complaints poured in to the Mother's Club and Community Association, yet young girls still in their teens were drunk about the grounds, and that all sorts of orgies, and I quote that again, <laughs> were staged during and after the dances. Numerous so-called social organizations have been making a practice of holding dances in the school auditorium during the past few years, but all will be flatly refused, school officials said. Complaints were made in the selectman's office that orgies were being staged not only on the school ground, but also upon the property of persons about the school. There has been no complaint, however, of the dances and affairs staged under the auspices of the Mother's Club, Community Association, or Fire Company, it was said. And that again is the... <laughs> the story. And um, that was published in the Greenwich News and Graphic on September 13, 1929 on page one. You know, I have been a member of the Greenwich Historical Society since the 1980s. Well, it's true. I know that's a long time, but you know what? It's been worth it. And I am inviting you to also join the Greenwich Historical Society, or if you have not done so, to please renew your membership. I have to tell you, my friends at the Greenwich Historical Society derive a great deal of pressure hosting visitors at the museum buildings, at the galleries, at the museum store, uh, at the Bush Holly House, 
uh, at the lovely gardens and grounds. It, it's really uh, just a wonderful thing to, um, uh, to behold. You often hear me say that you are a part of our history. Um, and visits to the Greenwich Historical Society at 47 Strickland Road in Koskob are engaging, fun, and they are educational for all. It really is your chance, whether you are a newcomer to, uh, to Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, or uh, you are a, a resident of uh, many, many years, it really is your chance to connect with um, Greenwich's stories, past, present, and even be part of the future, as well as understand why these stories and our history are so significant. We want you to become a part of this special community, and so you are invited Absolutely. You know, visitors are an essential part of the Greenwich Historical Society's fabric. Um, the museum experience and feedback that, uh, that you provide guides the Greenwich Historical Society in making its exhibits and programs more engaging, fun, and educational. Now, my friends there understand that you want to feel connected to the stories we present, as well as understand why those stories are significant. We at the Greenwich Historical Society want you to become a part of that community. And the very fact that you are able to enjoy the collections on site and online is a result of the Greenwich Historical Society's ongoing investment in its physical and digital museum. So, my friends, on behalf of the Greenwich Historical Society, I would like to ask you to uh, to help out uh, by becoming a member uh, or renewing your membership or even just making a donation uh, today. You know, there are multiple membership levels uh, that are in place, and the privileges of each me membership are available online at GreenwichHistory.org. Now, no membership is too small to make a difference. So joining and or renewing is uh, is easy. You can do it, and uh, you can do it by um, by envelope, which you can pick up or, or have mailed to you from the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, probably the best way to do it, which is the way that I do it, is by um, doing so online through the website at GreenwichHistory.org. You just go through the menu. You'll see where um, it, it is that you go, and it's very, very easy to do online and very secure by by the way, I want to emphasize that to you. Now, one person that uh, that you can uh, contact is Laura Kelly. She is in charge of membership and development. Um, she can be reached at 203-869-6899. My friends, I want to thank you very, very much. Uh, as a descendant of the founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, for your interest in preserving our history and culture, and especially in supporting the ongoing mission, the ongoing work of the Greenwich Historical Society, either as a donor or as a member or even both. Thank you very, very much. And you know what? You'll probably see me on campus. And if you do, you know, let's, uh, let's socialize, shall we? You know, I'm over there as often as I can, and so please, um, it's a great place to be. It's uh, just a wonderful staff and a wonderful experience. So thank you. Did you know that Greenwich is the home of perhaps the oldest continuously operated general store in the United States of America? That place, of course, is a place that I grew up with um, in the Round Hill section of, um, of the town, and that would be the Round Hill Store. If you've not been there, please drive up Round Hill Road. Um, it's at the corner of Old Mill Road and Round Hill. Uh, there's a gas station there, and um, this is a place that uh, whether you're uh, new here or whether 
you have been very busy with your life and, um, and you've just not had the time, I would urge you, please, to make it a point of stopping in at the, um, at the Round Hill store and um, enjoying this wonderful place uh, that has such a special um, history in, um, in, in Greenwich. It is perhaps um, the continuously operated general store in the country. Um, it is a great place to shop. It's also a true uh, destination. It's a very charming place. Um, and uh, there's even an antique cash register. It still functions uh, as, um, as I have seen. There's um, the, the fresh, uh, the fresh aroma of coffee is something that deeply uh, uh, appeals to me and um, and perhaps will appeal to you as well. You can see antiques, toys, and wares of yesteryear um, on um, in display cases and uh, all around. You can order sandwiches there uh, from the very, very friendly kitchen team uh, that is on staff at the, um, at the Round Hill store. The reason why I bring this up is because um, I ran into a story uh, in our history up in um, up in the Round Hill area, and it was about a burglary uh, at the um, uh, an attempt in, uh, to break into what what is then known as uh, the Knapp store. Uh, fortunately, it proved to be a failure. This happened um, in November of um, of 1895, and I thought that um, I would share the story with you. Um, it begins like this. There was an attempt uh, was made early last Wednesday morning to burglarize the store of Mr. N.A. Knapp at Round Hill. The attempt did not succeed. And again, uh, this is dated um, uh, in the Greenwich Graphic from November 16, 1895. About two o'clock, Mr. Lewis June, who sleeps over the store, was awakened by a noise as, as if someone was trying to force open the, the store door. He jumped up and listened, and his first impressions were confirmed. He ran to the window and shouted to Mr. Knapp, who lives in his home adjoining the store. The call frightened the burglars, burglars, and they started away on a run in the direction of Stanwich. One was working the door, and the other was watching Mr. Knapp's residence. As they ran, one of them turned and fired his pistol at Mr. June, who was still at the window. The shot was a beautiful line shot, but was too low and struck the sign about 18, 18 inches below the windowsill. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> Upon investigation, it was found that the burglars had, uh, had broken the lower fastenings of the door and were working upon the upper ones when disturbed by Mr. June and that no entrance had been effected. It was also found that the burglars had broken into Holbert's wheelwright shop and Haight's blacksmith shop and secured what tools they needed. These were left on the stoop where the burglar was at work. Deputy Sheriff Fitzroy was notified in the morning and went at once to Round Hill. In his opinion, it is the work of a gang of post office thieves. The plan of operations was exactly similar to that of the burglars who broke into the post office at Greenwich about a year ago. At Coscob, when Mr. Bullwinkle was postmaster, and at Darien not long since. On Tuesday, two strangers were seen around Round Hill. They were in Mr. Knapp's store and bought some tobacco and had quite a little chat with the clerk on the subject of their purchase. They were standing near the safe while talking. One was a short, stout man, about 22 or 23 years old. The other was a tall man, somewhat older, and wore a blue coat. These men are supposed to be the burglars. 
It is thought that they were hindered from getting to work earlier by the fact that Mrs. Knapp had gone to Greenwich to attend the entertainment in the Grand Army Hall and did not get back until about midnight. Had the burglars succeeded in accomplishing their object, it would have proved quite profitable, as Mr. Knapp had about $300 in the safe besides post office supplies. So far, no clue to the burglars had been found. My friends, please, if you would like to see where this uh, all uh, transpired, please uh, drive up Round Hill. It is um, about maybe half a mile north of the uh, of the Merritt Parkway. You can learn more by going online to roundhillstore.com. Again, go to roundhillstore.com online. And you know what? They have a really nice section of the website uh, that delves into the um, his, uh, the history of the Round Hill area and especially of the store, which was built in 1801. 100 years ago this week, on December 11, 1921, radio station 1BCG sent to Ardrossan, Scotland, the first message ever to spam the Atlantic Ocean on shortwave radio. 1BCG, an amateur station, was built and operated by members of the Radio Club of America. Now, of course, you're probably wondering, why is this significant to us? Well, here's why. Radio station 1BCG was located here in Greenwich, Connecticut. Now, if you drive north on North Street, just past Greenwich Catholic School and St. Michael the Archangel Church at 469 North Street, you'll see a gray granite monument in the traffic island at the intersection with Clapperd Ridge Road. The inscription on that stone reads as follows, quote, Near this spot, on December 11, 1921, radio station 1BCG sent to Ardrossum, Scotland, the first message ever to spam the Atlantic on short waves. 1BCG, an amateur station, was built by members of the Radio Club of America. This monument was dedicated in 1950. Now, what was the contents of that message, you're asking? Well, it was received in Scotland at 2.52 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And here is the exact text of the, um, uh, of the, um, of the message. Quote, Number 1, day 1BCG, W-12, which, by the way, stands for words 12, New York, date 11 forward slash 12-21, to Paul Godley, Drosom, Scotland, hearty congratulations, Burghard, Inman, Grennan, Armstrong, Amy, Cronkite, unquote. Nice and simple. <laughs> All right. The station was assigned to Mr. Minton Cronkite. He was the son of Elisha P. Cronkite, whose estate stood at the corner of North Street and Clapperd Ridge Road. The estate, which was built in the Georgian Revival style, was called Winwick, and I'm going to spell that for you. It was spelled W-Y-M-W-Y-K. The estate included the White Clapperd Mansion, a swimming pool, tennis court, gardens, and 10 outbuildings. In 1954, the estate was sold to St. Mary's Parish and was used as a convent and a campus 
for St. Mary's Catholic High School, now known today in the 21st century as Greenwich Catholic School. That's really neat. How about that? So if you went to uh, school uh, there, well, you know what? You were very much a part of history. <laughs> I'll bet you didn't know it. Now, news of, of, of this event um, made the local press, and the following was uh, published uh, in the 9th of December 20, uh, 1921 edition of the Greenwich News and Graphics, so just a couple of days before the, um, the actual transmission of that message was sent and, um, and received. Um, and it, this made uh, the first page, page one. So um, there it is. It says, Greenwich Amateur Wireless Station takes part in transatlantic tests. The erection of a small building in a vacant lot on the Elisha P. Cronkite estate, corner of North Street and Clapper Ridge Road, which has been in course of construction for the past two weeks, has aroused the curiosity of many residents living in that locality as well as passing automobilists. Today we call those car drivers. (laughs) All right, back to the story. On Tuesday night, a reporter of the News and Graphic visited the mysterious building and there found several young men, including Minton Cronkite, the son of Mr. Cronkite, busily engaged in operating a radio station. They, having entered the contest for the first transatlantic test ever planned under the auspices of the American Radio Relay League, um, let's see, open to all amateur wireless stations in the country, which began on Wednesday night and will continue for a week. There are some 15,000 or 20,000 amateur stations which will endeavor to get messages across the Atlantic, and more than 100,000 stations will, quote-unquote, listen in, it is expected. Hiram Perry Maxim of Hartford is president of the American Radio Relay League, and Paul Godfrey, a wireless inventor who 25 years ago perfected the regenerated receiver for amateur use, is in England cooperating with 300 British stations which will attempt to get messages from Americans. As sitting representative of the League, Mr. Godfrey will be in in touch with amateurs in France and Holland as well as England. He uh, He took one receiving station with him, which will be installed near London. And there will be also smaller station in the north of Scotland. The national headquarters of the league is located in Hartford. Should the operators be able to get the messages across, it will mean that non-commercial operators of any party of the country or Canada can forward messages to friends across the ocean at will. Several young men of prominent families in New York are located at the station on the Cronkite grounds and will endeavor to send those messages uh, across every night until December 18 when the contest closes. It took Mr. Cronkite and his friends, six or eight in number, just two weeks to build a wireless station, said to be one of the finest in the country. They were able to work only evenings and part of the day on Saturdays. The Greenwich Station is known as Station 1BCG. It is the only station of its kind in Greenwich. The names of the young men uh, men interested are withheld at the present time. They are all confident that the operator overseas will be able to catch their message before 
the contest closes. Well, lo and behold, folks, it's true. Actually, it was from that station um, on the Cronkite estate um, in Greenwich uh, that not only won that contest, but it was the first in, um, in history to uh, transmit on shortwave radio um, a message across the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So that's really, that's really fantastic news. And it happened 100 years ago this week. Um, I'm going to have some information on uh, this particular uh, show podcast uh, page on the Greenwich Town for All Seasons.blogspot.com site. Um, there is um, a short documentary that I found on, on YouTube, and uh, there is other information, including pictures. So you will be able to log on there, and I will also make sure to post these on uh, places such as the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show uh, page on Facebook, as well as the You Know You're From Greenwich If a page that is administered by Judy Goss on the um, on Facebook. My friends, I've got great news for you. It is not too late for you to take holiday tours of the Bush Holly House at the Greenwich Historical Society from December 1st 2021 to January 9, 2022, from Wednesday, on Wednesdays to Sundays, 12 and 4 p.m., you can enjoy holiday tours of this wonderful place, the Bush Holly House, on the grounds of the Greenwich Historical Society. There are special evening candlelight tours of the Bush Holly House. Those will be available at 4 p.m. on Saturday, December 4th, Saturday, December 11th, and Saturday, December 18. My friends, you're invited to enjoy a guided house tour of the historic home of the Bush and Holly families decorated for the holiday season. Tours provide visitors with an introduction to two distinct time periods, the New Nation, 1790 to 1825 and the Coscup Art Colony period of 1890 to 1920 with discussion of the home, holiday traditions, and decor. Tours will be limited to 10 guests and on behalf of the Historical Society do you ask that all guests wear masks while indoors. If you'd like to learn more please go to GreenwichHistory.org or you can also call the Greenwich Historical Society at 203 869 6899. You know, I, my friends, earlier this week I was on the grounds of the Second Congregational Church for the official ribbon cutting at Coffee for Good in the Solomon Mead House. Uh, this is the stone mansion located at 48 Maple Avenue. You've probably driven by it many times, and I would invite you to come in and stop there at Coffee for Good. It's one of my favorite places, and I hope that it becomes yours too. But as I was uh, talking to some of the attendees and um, enjoying the uh, the festivities, uh, I was reminded that um, besides the fact that this is one of our uh, Mead family mansions, and uh, quite frankly, one of my favorites, uh, this particular house has a rather special history tied to it, and uh, it is uh, with pleasure that I'd like to share with you an essay that was written by Leslie Albamonte, um, on, and it is at GreenwichHistory.org. It's about a very, very interesting woman by the name of Sylvia Wilkes. Sylvia Ann Howland Green Wilkes, who lived from 1871 to 1951, was the daughter of tycoon Hetty Green, also known as the Witch of Wall Street. 
<laughs> the richest woman in America during the Gilded Age. In 1909, Sylvia was married to Matthew Astor Wilkes, who lived from 1844 to 1926, the great-grandson of America's first millionaire, John Jacob Astor. She was 32, and he was 63. When her brother died in 1935, she inherited his estate, which made her the sole heir to her mother's $100 million fortune. Well, how about that? After her husband died and with no children, Sylvia Wilkes lived a quiet and solitary life traveling back and forth between her New York City apartment and her home in Greenwich. Like her mother, Sylvia was known uh, uh, to be very eccentric and a recluse and is noted for always wearing black. Wilkes purchased multiple properties in Greenwich but preferred her home at 48 Maple Avenue. That, of course, is the uh, the Mead House um, over at, um, at the Second Congregational Church campus. On with the story. Anyway, um, early 20th century Greenwich real estate firm owner Thomas N. Cook handled the business for Wilkes' local properties and residences from 1934 to 1948. The Greenwich Historical Society has recently processed about 50 cubic feet of Cook's donated files, some of which document correspondence and business between Cook's, Cook and Wilkes. Cook served in a somewhat secretarial role for Wilkes, receiving and paying statements documenting visitors to her residence and delivering charitable donations on her behalf. Wilkes died in 1951 with an estate worth about $95 million. That would be approximately $990 million in 2021 dollars. Her will found in a cabinet drawer under three bars of soap uh, provided just $5,000 to a cousin and the remaining millions to 63 charities, including colleges, libraries, hospitals, and churches. On March 22, 1952, nearly one year after Wilkes' death, the contents of her property on Maple Avenue were auctioned off, with over 400 curious people arriving to get a peek into her house. The New York Times described her residence as quote, comfort found lacking, unquote, and with no real items of value. In 1952, the Second Congregational Church purchased the property at 48 Maple Avenue for $51,200 and renamed the house the Mead Parish House after the original builder and a member of one of Greenwich's founding families, Solomon Mead. The church had approached Mr. Cook and Mrs. Wilkes in 1944 about purchasing the property, but Mrs. Wilkes was not yet ready to entertain that possibility, as she was fond of the convenient location and had spent a considerable amount of time and money in, quote, putting the house in shape, quote, unquote. Today, the former home holds offices for the church. It provides space for meetings and activities and has just recently welcomed Coffee for Good Cafe. Um, and again, you can learn more about Coffee for Good uh, at um, going online to coffeeforgood.org. So there you go. Um, I hope to see you over at uh, Coffee for Good. It's a great place. And, um, and please come in and you can, you can actually be in the house. It doesn't cost you anything to go in um, to the house where at one time the, the richest woman in all of America uh, once lived. Uh, it's a remarkable place and I look forward to seeing you there.
Well, as we start to wind down and conclude today's show, I would like to conclude on a very, very high note. And if you haven't learned this already, there was a story that uh, that was published in the December 9, uh, actually it's today, uh, Greenwich Time, um, and uh, that is about upgrades proposed for Greenwich's historic Lion House, um, uh, which earned positive reviews, called a great project, and uh, this is in Greenwich Time. Uh, Robert Marchant is the um, uh, is the reporter. And I would really like to share this with you. For those of you that not are not aware, the uh, Thomas Lyon House is uh, located at the uh, state line on West Putnam Avenue with um, uh, New York State. Uh, it is a very, very, very old house. Um, it is said to be the uh, oldest unaltered uh, home in uh, Greenwich. And there are plans in store and underway uh, through the Greenwich Preservation Trust to restore this house and to invite visitors to come and to enjoy it. Let me just share the story with you, if I could, please. Plans are proceeding to make the Lion House a historic home dating to the 17th century in the west end of town, accessible and engaging to the public. The Planning and Zoning Commission reviewed an application by the Greenwich Preservation Trust and gave a favorable response to the proposal during its informal preliminary review at a meeting Tuesday night. The proposal is seeking to add parking, a handicap accessible bathroom, and landscaping modifications at the site of one Byram Drive at West Putnam Avenue. Commissioner Dennis Yeski said he liked the concept that was presented. Quote, this is a great project for Greenwich, he said, and added that any improvements made at the Gateway site into town would be a welcome addition. Owned by the town of Greenwich, the site is managed by the Greenwich Preservation Trust. The aim of the Greenwich Preservation Trust is to make the structure of the historic Lion House more visitor-friendly. Under the proposal, the home would be used as a, quote, historical study center, unquote, an archive, a meeting space, and a place to mark local history, according to the submission on file at Town Hall. Creation of a pedestrian trail to the nearby Dorothy Hamill Municipal Ice Rink parking lot would come at a later date, said Paul Puglisi from the Preservation Trust. Quote, we'll do that in the future. For now, we want to get the house accessible to the public with the least amount of disruption, unquote, he said. Architect Norm Davis said the improvements in accessibility would be achieved without losing the historic character of the Lion House and also a um, representative of the Byram Neighborhood Association spoke in favor of the improvements, and of course that is Al Shahadi, and he said, quote, we are strongly in favor of the project. We think this is, a real, this is really important for this end of town. He's the chairman of the Land Use Committee of the Byram Neighborhood Association. He noted that the traffic circle nearby on West Putnam Avenue is a, is a, quote, bad intersection, unquote, in terms of traffic safety and called on town authorities to work on upgrades there. PNZ Mar uh, uh, Chairwoman Margarita Albin acknowledged the concerns and said the State Department of Transportation would have to coordinate any improvements, which she said would be uh, could be a lengthy process. And she said any future events held at the Lion House should avoid peak uh, rush hour times. Um, she also said that the commission was eager to see the full proposal from the Greenwich Preservation Trust in the coming weeks for um, the Lion House. Now, I'll tell you, um, Norm Davis is actually a cousin of mine, and uh, he is a Mead descendant, therefore, and um, he is an architect, and I have contacted him about being on one of the upcoming 
shows, and uh, he has agreed uh, to that. Uh, of course, this being the holiday period, we're going to try to uh, to coordinate things together. But my friends, this is really fantastic news. Um, this is something that we must support. We must support the Greenwich Preservation Trust um, in its ongoing efforts to um, uh, to fix up and to restore the uh, the Thomas Lyon House and to make it accessible uh, to uh, to the public. It's been a long time coming. I think the momentum is um, is in its favor, and so we all are going to have to come together and to make this possible and real. With that said, my friends, I'm going to conclude today's uh, December 9, 2021 podcast show of the Greenwich uh, Town for All Seasons show. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead. I am a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of Greenwich, Connecticut. And as always, it has been a pleasure being with you today and sharing the history of a remarkable community that many of us have been calling home for centuries called Greenwich, Connecticut. But you know, it doesn't matter whether you've been here for 381 years or even 381 seconds. uh, Well, you're a part of our history and there's a lot more to come. Uh, I'll be back next week, and I look forward to being back with you then. And as always, my friends, remember, you can contact me with your questions and suggestions and feedback by going uh, to your email box and contacting me at Greenwich, a town for all seasons at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Facebook. Look, uh, look me up at Jeffrey Bingham Mead or look up the Greenwich, a town for all seasons show uh, on Facebook, and you can send me a private message there as well. It's been a pleasure, everybody. I got to go. We'll see you later. Bye-bye now.